0: Today's passage is from Matthew 18 uh, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you had begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart.
1: Um, thanks to, to Alison for reading. Thank you to Andrew for, for leading us through this morning. Um, for those i have not met, my name's Adam, um, as Andrew said, and usually this time on a Sunday morning I'd be um, in Chalmers um, over in Sides. Um, and this is my second time um, I was here at the, i think at the end of uh, last summer in august um, and it is such a joy um to be joining you again this morning um really great to be with you uh, it 's been a great encouragement. You have picked up from the passage that matthew 's big focus um, and as we were thinking about in the in the children 's talk earlier matthew 's big focus is on forgiveness and that 's how this passage gets introduced with peter 's question verse twenty one Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? So, the big focus of this passage is on how Christians should forgive one another. And the way that Christians should live in this area should make us stand out from the world around us. In the arena of forgiveness, followers of Jesus are called to be radically countercultural. Peter asks, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? In verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And I take it Jesus isn't just redrawing the boundary. I take it he's not saying seven times isn't quite enough. Maybe if you kind of get up to 77 um, times forgiving someone, then you can do what you like then it's you're fine to hold the grudge. Now, I don't think Jesus is redrawing the boundary. I think he's removing it completely. This is just his way of saying that the way Christians relate to one another, when one Christian wrongs another, is to be radical. It massively exceeds our expectations of what is normal. I mean, just that, compare it to the world that we live in. I don't know if you're familiar with cancel culture. Um, It's where people are shunned by a group in society for something that they've said or done. Um, So here's an example to give you an idea. The author, J.K. Rowling, was cancelled a couple of years ago um, for comments that she made about transgenderism. And so following on from that, people started to distance themselves from her. They refused to work with her. and Some even boycotted her work. Or at least they kept enjoying it, but pretended that she had nothing to do with it. Cancel culture says, you do something disagreeable, and it's the end of the road for you. But it's actually worth saying, even some secular voices are a little bit uncomfortable with cancel culture. But I think what is more common is the idea that if someone wrongs us, or if they offend us, it is totally fine and actually encouraged and applauded to just cut them out of our lives. I mean, it's okay to just move on. They're not worth it. Why go through the process of painful forgiveness when it would be far easier to just do a social clean-up on anyone who hurts us? I think this is a mindset that exists throughout our worlds, and indeed in our own hearts. Well, Christians are called to radical forgiveness. And I do hope that we'll go away from this morning not just with a command to follow, but I hope we'll see that in the gospel we have a legitimately powerful and effective motivation to forgive. Against the backdrop of a world that holds grudges and our hearts that are slow to forgive others, the Christian message frees us and liberates us to show forgiveness. And before we dive in, it is worth saying from the start that this kind of radical forgiveness that Christians are called to can feel unnatural, and in a lot of cases, it can even feel wrong. And in a group of people this size, I'm sure there will be some his- sitting here for whom forgiveness is a deeply painful topic. I mean, even think of the relatively um, small, trivial examples. Where we find this hard, um, a spouse um, leaving you to do the washing up again, leaving laundry on the floor, a colleague misrepresenting you in a meeting, driver pulling out in front of you, in church someone doesn't show up one week leaving you to serve the tea and coffee by yourself. Even in fairly trivial wrongs, we don't find it easy to let go. It's painful And if we're honest, we kind of like holding on to that feeling that we have the moral high grounds. But then there are far more deep hurts that we might have gone through in life. Some of the most awful things that sinful humans do to one another. I think situations where there's been abandonment or abuse or lies in a relationship. Where one person has done serious damage to another the kinds of things that stick with the person long after the event. And it might feel like some of those deep hurts are impossible to forgive. And in many cases, we might ask, is it even right? And I think at this point, before we go any further, it'd be good to define what is it we mean by forgiveness. And I think really simply, it means we determine not to hold a grudge, not to hold someone's debt against them just like we were thinking about in the children's talk earlier. It is a commitment not to hold a grudge. It's probably worth saying now too that this doesn't always mean full reconciliation, that things will go back exactly to the way that they were before. I mean, that depends on the people that are involved and the nature of the offence. So it doesn't necessarily mean full reconciliation, but it does mean that we commit to not harbouring resentment and holding their offence over them. And one last thing that's really important that we nail down, forgiveness won't feel like, and it isn't, a checkbox exercise, a kind of one-and-done deal. Particularly where there's been deep hurt, forgiveness is an ongoing process of reapplying the gospel logic to our hearts. Forgiveness is often a battle in our minds and in our hearts. And often, actually, we need help from our church family. And so I really do hope that this morning we'll see from Matthew 18 that the Christian message doesn't trivialise deep hurts. But it does give us a wonderful motivation to forgive even the most painful harms. So let's dive in and hear what Jesus has to say in the parable. And um, our first point this morning, here's a picture of the immense forgiveness that Christians have received. The lavishly merciful king forgives a colossal debt. Verses 23 to 27, let me read those again for us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. And one of the wonderful things about this parable is is it's not particularly difficult to get our heads around. We've got a king and one of his servants who owes him a lot of money. And now it's time to settle the accounts for the servant to pay up. And I think the most important observation for us to make from this first act of the parable is the size of the debt that this servant owes his master. Have a look with me again. Verse twenty-four. He owes him ten thousand bags of gold. I'm already just from that description; it's sounding to feel like quite a lot of money. And, but if you've got a Bible with footnotes in in front of you, have a look down at the footnote, bottom of the page. It says the Greek phrase here is ten thousand talents. A talent was worth about twenty years of a day laborer's wages. Twenty years. Um, I was curious, so I kind of tried to work out what that would be today, um, got the calculator out. And um, it's somewhere in the region of about three billion pounds. Um, and so that's bigger than the GDP for lots of small countries. So the servant owes his master a mind-boggling amount of money. I notice again, verse 26, how he pleads with his master. Pay attention particularly to the second half of the verse. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. As we read this, it's starting to feel a little bit doubtful. Let's have a quick think about the numbers. Remember, one talent is worth 20 years' wages for a labourer. So let's say the servant went out to work, and if we assume he's got around 40 years of work left in him, by the time he hit retirement age, he would have made back enough to pay two talents. But of course, that's assuming he's not kind of paying for any other living expenses in that time. If his servant wanted to pay back the full 10,000 talents, well, you might have worked out he'd need to work for another 200,000 years with no other outgoing living expenses. So I think the problem here is um, lifespan really gets in the way. So the size of this man's debt is terrifying. It's a debt he has absolutely no hope of ever repaying. And the servant knows this. Verse 26, um, it's not a a genuine um, promise to pay back. He's throwing a Hail Mary before he loses everything. He's taking one last chance. And it's with that in mind that verse 27 is so precious. The king hears his servant's cry of desperation and he doesn't ask him, he doesn't kind of give him more time. Notice he just writes off the debt entirely. 10,000 talents written off in an instant. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debts, and let him go. And remember, if you look at verse 23, this is um, to be a picture for us of what things are like in the kingdom of heaven. It's a picture of the forgiveness that God gives to those who cry out to him. If we're Christians, we have had an astronomical debt, a paralysing debt that we could never dream of repaying, just written off. I wonder how often you think of the gospel in terms of this debt being torn up. I think one of the great things about this imagery, particularly, is that it helps us to feel the weightiness of our sin problem before God's. I mean, just imagine having a debt that size. You'd feel the absolute helplessness and despair. We really can't do anything to pay it back. And to add to that, there's the sheer joyful relief of having such a weight all of a sudden lifted. Our unpayable debt has been cancelled. And I wonder, do we really think that our problem before God is this big? How often do we stop and remember the sheer size of the debt that God has forgiven us, that we've racked up before him? If we're Christians, do we realise that we've been forgiven a debt that is so colossal we could never dream of repaying it. It might be a good thing to go away this afternoon and spend some time reflecting on just how richly merciful and kind God has been in writing off our astronomical debt to him. And it is important to say that um, this um, only applies to those who are trusting Jesus. And only those who trust Jesus will have this debt written off. Um, and if you're here this morning and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, um, firstly, we're really glad that you're here. And for you, I wonder what you've made of God for Matthew 18. Is this extravagantly merciful and generous king how you would have pictured him? And if that is he, please do come and chat afterwards. Um, I'd really love to know what you think. So that's point one. God is lavishly merciful, and he's forgiven us an unpayable debt. In the story, the servant's astronomical debt has been graciously written off by the master. As we head into our second point, I wonder what we might expect this newly forgiven servant to do next. Well, as the passage was read earlier, you'll have noticed that his response is Wicked. So, our next point the wicked, unmerciful servant refuses to forgive a much smaller debt. Verses 18 to 31. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant went to, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. So is this wicked servant. He's been treated on the basis of grace himself. But then he immediately refuses to show grace to others. And actually, I don't think we have to do much more than just read these verses to see how wicked and ugly this response is. Wonderfully, the story itself is designed to help us feel disgust at this servant's behavior. I mean, it's like the servant has instantly forgotten what's just happened to him. Does he not remember? He's just had this eye-wateringly huge debt ripped up. And again, like in the first section, I think the key observation for us to make is the size of this debt. Notice what the other servant owes. Verse 28, a hundred silver coins. And again, to put that in perspective, um, the, the translators have given us a, a helpful footnotes. And so have a look down there. And this is 100 denarii. A denarius was the usual daily wage of a day laborer. So our wicked servant is owed 100 days' wages. And so on the one hand, that's actually not a trivial amount of money. I mean, it is the kind of money you would definitely miss. I mean, imagine missing three months of paychecks. But on the other hand, remember that the wicked servant owed his master 10,000 talents. Um, again, I got the calculator right, um, and if my maths is right, the amount that the wicked servant is owed by his fellow servants is 0.00014% of what he owed his master. To put it another way, this debt would take 100 days to work off, but the wicked servant's debts would take 200,000 years. And I do think this kind of size comparison is really helpful when it comes to applying this to ourselves. And let me explain what I mean by that. Whenever someone wrongs us, even the smaller offences, it is a really painful thing. It's hard for us to let go of grudges. And we have a really big view of ourselves. And so if anyone wrongs us, um, that is a really big deal to us. And it can feel too big to just draw the line under it and move on. And so on the grounds when we're feeling like this, what difference does Matthew 18 make? Well, I think in those moments, the most important thing to preach to ourselves is the difference between these two debts. Between someone's debt to us and our debt to God. When we're finding it hard to forgive someone, the best thing to do is to remind ourselves that no matter how big the offence is, God has forgiven us a vastly greater debt. And actually, I think those moments are a great time to reflect on how merciful God is in forgiving us our debt to him. Because in those moments, we're kind of far more aware, acutely, how it feels to be wronged by someone. And if this is how it feels for us, well, just imagine how greatly we've wronged God's and therefore think how spectacularly gracious has God been to us for giving us that offense. So that's our second point. The wicked servant refuses to forgive a much smaller debt. And our third point will really just be pulling together everything that we've seen so far, as the king delivers his verdict on this unmerciful servant. Point three don't be like the wicked servants if we receive God's lavish forgiveness we cannot hold withhold forgiveness from others listen again verse 32 it's what the king says of the servants you wicked servants I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to and here's a summary of the whole thing verse 33 shouldn't ye have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on ye And again, I think the point here is fairly simple to get our heads around. If we've had this enormous debt put through the shredder only because of God's generous determination, and that without that, it would be totally up to us to pay that debt ourselves. If that is true, and we get that, how can we withhold forgiveness from others? So the point is fairly simple to get our heads around, but I think the challenge comes when we try to apply this to our hearts. We'll spend most of the rest of our time thinking about that. But before we get there, I do think it's worth taking a brief sidestep on the way the Master treats his wicked servants in verse 34, and then on what Jesus subsequently says about Christians in verse 35. And I want to... Do that by addressing a wrong way that we might take these verses. So verse 34, the master hands over the servants to be punished. His debt is no longer forgiven. And then following that, we get this sobering verse, verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. So to address a wrong interpretation, is this saying... That our salvation is dependent on us forgiving others. That God only shows grace to us and treats us on the basis of grace if we do that to other people first. Um, And I want to say quickly, the answer to that is a resounding no. I mean, that would be completely out of step with the rest of Matthew and what the gospel teaches us. That we are saved only due to God's grace. Instead, what is going on here? is that if someone is unmerciful like this servant, it exposes that they never actually grasp God's forgiveness for themselves. So it's not that our forgiveness of others contributes to our salvation. Instead, our attitude to forgiving others is an indicator of whether we've grasped God's forgiveness of us, that he's written off our massive debts and so that's the reason that the punishment, I think, in verse 34 is so severe. I think this is a, a kind of an image for for eternal judgment. The point is because he's choosing not to treat others on the basis of grace. He's showing he hasn't understood the gospel at all. And God's word makes it clear that those who don't accept the gospel of God's free forgiveness for sinners like you and me. Well, those people have to pay their own debts that was just a little sidetrack um, but now we're back on the main roads um, and for the rest of our time we're going to think about how all of this might cash out in someone's life how might this truth work itself out on the grounds if someone really took it to heart and so think first of the the smaller examples where we need to forgive someone that we were thinking about earlier Think of the person you live with who always leaves behind the dirty dishes. Or the person who leaves you alone on a church duty without giving enough notice. Or the friend who cancels plans at the last minute. In the moment when we're tempted to say something, or to complain to others, or even later down the line to dig it up again, in that moment, instead of doing these things, If we've taken to heart the message of Matthew 18, the first thing we do is preach to ourselves, no matter how annoyed or hurt we are by this person's actions, no matter how big their debt to us feels, remember God has graciously forgiven us an unimaginably greater debt. And just on a practical note, this doesn't necessarily mean we don't talk to the person about what they've done. And we didn't read them earlier, but the verses before our passage this morning, Matthew 18, 15 to 20. It's really an instruction manual on how, how we deal with sin in the church, sin between Christians. And in verse 15, we're encouraged to tell our brother or sister when they sin against us. The difference is we're to tell them so that we might win them over. This is about pointing out their sin in love, so that they have a chance to repent, not so that we can make ourselves feel superior. The point is, this passage should transform our motivation. Um, And hopefully that's kind of setting us off Um, on the road of thinking um, by ourselves what difference Matthew 18 makes to us, how it might play out. But before we finish, it's important to address some of the greater hurts and how Matthew 18 applies in these cases. What about some of the acutely painful ways that human beings hurt one another? And the first thing to say Is just to affirm that this principle of radical forgiveness, it does still apply, no matter how serious the hurts. The reason for that is that no human debt can ever come close to the debt that we have racked up before God. The debt that he has graciously forgiven those who trust in Jesus. But it is so important to stress that Matthew 18 is by no means asking us to trivialise the hurts or to say it didn't matter. And the rest of Matthew makes that clear, the debt will be paid in the end, either by us or by Jesus on our behalf for those who trust him. It doesn't trivialise the debt. But we do need to acknowledge that we don't find forgiveness an easy thing. And in all likelihood, it is not a one-off. Often in the most extreme cases, it is a process over years or even over a lifetime, preaching to ourselves and reapplying God's merciful forgiveness of our debts to our hearts. Every time that, that sense of injustice comes back, we need to reapply the gospel And just before we close, one other practical note. I think it is true to say that forgiveness doesn't mean that there will be no change in a relationship. And even necessarily that there will be full reconciliation this side of eternity. There are cases because of the circumstances or people involved that this just might not be appropriate. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean full reconciliation, but it does mean a commitment not to hold someone's debt against them. And this can be a painful thing to work through. And if you are grappling with forgiveness for a deep wrong, please do speak to someone about that. And God has given us the gift of church family to guide us and to speak truth in all circumstances. And this isn't the kind of thing that we have to grapple with by ourselves. Let me pray to close. Our gracious and merciful Father, the message of Matthew 18 is a challenging one for all of us. We acknowledge that we don't find forgiveness easy or natural as humans. We praise you that you have forgiven each one of us, if we're trusting Jesus, an astronomical debt. We're astounded at your abundant mercy towards us in the Lord Jesus. Father, please train us and equip us to be those who are radically forgiving. Please help us not to be like the wicked, unmerciful servants. We pray that you would strengthen us to keep preaching the truth of your lavish forgiveness to ourselves in the face of the wrongs that others others do to us knowing that we ourselves are so desperately in need of your mercy for the immense debts that we have racked up by our wicked thoughts and actions towards others and supremely towards ye. Help us not to be short-sighted and forgetful of the grace that you've shown to us. And we pray that your church would be a beacon of light, showing mercy in a world that is slow to forgive, We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.